Welcome to this month's webcast from MacLearning.org. Our topic today is iTunes U integration on campus. My name is Scott Morris and I'm your moderator today. Before we get into the actual webcast, I'd like to first welcome Jess Mitchell and Willie Pritchard, co-chairs of Mac Learning Environments. Jess, are you with us? Yeah, thanks, Scott. And welcome, everybody, again. This is a very exciting webcast, and I want to tell you about uh, next month's exciting webcast. We're going to do things a little differently. We're going to be using an interactive Illuminate session. Illuminate is going to allow us um, to have a feature-rich cross-platform environment in which to do web conferencing. So we've got a, a wonderful group of people, as you can see on the slide, lined up for next month's webcast, and we hope that you join us at maclearning.org. And um, as Scott mentioned, I am one of uh, the co-chairs for the Mac Learning Environment. And I'll now send it over to Willie Pritchard, our other co-chair. Hi, Jess and everyone else on the uh, call. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to the event today and uh, let you know about some efforts we're, being, we're undertaking to uh, energize the uh, Mac Learning Environment's community um, over the next 90 days, we uh, are working hard to um, redesign and bring a new website to the community uh, that will be uh, responsive to your needs and a nice, friendly interface so that uh, you can contribute as well as um, learn from the site. There will be many more new resources there for you to take advantage of. For it to be effective and for MacLearning.org to be effective, however, we really need your input on uh, what topics and what interests you have in using Mac technology for learning. So we ask you to join uh, uh, at the website when we get it up and running and uh, share your ideas with the entire community. You can do that, uh, as it says on the slide, through MLE at MacLearningEnvironments.org. And you can also contribute directly to members of the steering committee by sending an email to steeringcom, I'm sorry, steercom at maclearningenvironments.org. So we look forward to uh, bringing this new energy and also uh, getting your input on uh, how you'd like us to proceed. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Scott. Great. Thanks, Jess, and thanks, Willie. So let's move on into our webcast today. Uh, the first segment is going to be a uh, case study on iTunes U authorization integration. Joining us today is Ken Newquist from Lafayette College. Ken, are you with us? Yes, I am. Great. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, and uh, you can just let me know uh, when you want to go on to the next slide. All right. So my name is Ken Newquist. I'm the Web Application Specialist at Lafayette College. And if we could go on to the next slide about the college. Go ahead, Ken. Okay. Uh, Lafayette College is located in Easton, PA. We're a liberal arts college with an enrollment of about 2,300 students. As far as academic goes, we have a Bachelor's of Arts in 33 fields and Bachelor's of Science in 14 fields, including foreign engineering, which makes us uh, fairly unique in terms of colleges of our size. We also have 250 groups, clubs, and, and uh, sports on campus. Let's go to the next slide. Go ahead, Ken. Just uh, I'll advance them, and you just go ahead and assume and, and uh, okay. go ahead and talk to them. All right. Sorry. Um, iTunes, as far as iTunes at Lafayette goes, 
Um, we still launched our pilot in the spring of 2007. We presently have four departments that are using the system. We have information technology services, which is my own department, foreign languages and literatures, music, and public information. We have one student organization already signed up, would be Engineers Without Borders, and we have a couple of other uh, in the pipe. And then we have one music class that's actively using it with one instructor and 20 students. And we are hosting a digital media competition to promote iTunes U awareness on campus. Next slide. Now, talking about Lafayette's network and exactly how we handle authentication on a campus for everything else other than iTunes, we have about 2,500 LDAP user accounts that are divided into organizational units, or OUs, based on administrative offices, academic offices, and class year. Authentication to the campus network in most web-based applications, such as Moodle, Webmail, that kind of stuff, is done via uh, the Novell eDirectory implementation of LDAP. And we do not have our course information currently available in LDAP. It all resides in Banner, which is our administrative computing system. Next slide. Now, when we were sitting down and we started planning our iTunes U integration, we had a couple of technical expectations of what we would want the system to be able to do. We wanted to have three levels of authorization. So we would have a public authorization, which basically people can get in and see whatever they want with an iTunes U. College level, where we would restrict content to just members of the college community. And then the class or private level, where you would say, members of this organization can see this content, but nobody else can. Authentication was going to have to be done through Campus LDAP. And we wanted to have two different levels of authorization. We wanted to have basic authorization, where we would assign generic roles to users based on their role at the college, so student, faculty, or staff. And then advanced authorization, where we would assign administrators, instructors, and students to specific classes. All of this had to work within the college's existing LAMP framework, which is Linux, Apache, MySQL, Perl, and or PHP. Next slide. When it came down to actually implementing it, we divided it into two phases. In the first phase, visitors access the site via itunes.lafayette.edu, which offers a public link or a college-specific login via the user's network ID. For Lafayette logins, authentication via LDAP confirms that they're a member of our community. The basic authorization kicks off and basically assigns a generic role based on what the user's organizational unit is within LDAP. Then we have, separate from LDAP, the advanced authorization, in which we have the specific information about admin, instructor, and student roles, which reside in a MySQL database. All of this is pulled together. Sorry, the next slide. <laughs> All of this is pulled together by our connection, to, our connection script for iTunes U, which is an extended version of Apple's Perl script, which checks the user's credentials against LDAP, queries the database for user-specific authorization, and passes the necessary credential string to iTunes U. Next slide. Now, looking ahead to phase two, we uh, want to maintain LDAP authentication, but we want to replace this kind of ad hoc authorization database with a centralized resource with course enroll information. This would be based primarily on automated updates from the college's administrative computing system, Banner, and it would be a resource that we would use for course enroll information for other applications, such as Moodle. And next slide. 
Looking forward to the summer and fall of 2007, we plan to complete phase two of iTunes U implementation, recruit additional faculty, students, and groups to the pilot, and integrate iTunes U into Moodle via a PHP block that would allow people to easily see what content is available within iTunes U and then click through and log into the system. Next slide. So I have spent a fair amount of time in the uh, iTunes U support forums, helping people troubleshoot problems, helping to you know, kind of puzzle through some of the challenges with getting iTunes U up and running at various schools. And I talked to people online and offline, and I just wanted to share with you some of the things that I've learned, some of the common problems that people have encountered. Now, one of the first things that people get confused about is the activation confusion. Um, when you first get iTunes U, and this may have changed slightly uh, since we started, but there's an activation email that basically says, hey, you can activate your iTunes U account. But that's only the beginning. That will create your account space within iTunes U, but you need to build a bridge between your campus authorization system and iTunes U. In order to do that, you're going to need help from your campus programmers. And I think that's where some of the confusion may come into play because if an instructional technologist receives this activation script or this activation request, then they need to immediately get with their web monkeys and say, okay, how are we going to build this connection to LDAP or to whatever other system you're using to authenticate? Fortunately, Apple's made example scripts available in C, Java, Perl, Python, and Shell. So using one of those solutions, you should be able to build this bridge yourself. Uh, next slide. Now, one of the things, I think the number one confusion that has struck people after they get their connection script up and running is that it'll be working one day and then a week, two weeks, in my case, four weeks later, it suddenly stops. And the reason why is because of server time. Connection requests sent to iTunes U from your server must be completed within 90 seconds. If your clock drifts, basically your server is keeping track of time, if that time gets out of sync with network time by more than 90 seconds, iTunes U isn't going to allow the, the request to complete. So it's vitally important when you're setting up iTunes U to make sure that your server is being updated using NTP or some other time-syncing protocol, because if it drifts, you're not going to be able to get in. Troubleshooting, and some people don't realize what resources are available here, but for troubleshooting, all of Apple's scripts have a debugger mode. And by turning on this debugger mode, you can learn a wealth of information about how your script is or not is not connecting to iTunes U. This includes information about what credentials are being passed, whether or not what time it was being, what time the script thinks <laughs> is being used to connect. So it will tell you if the time is too far into the past or too, time, too far into the future. And it's generally an excellent starting point for figuring out what went wrong. And if you're going to come to the forums and ask for help, it's great to run the debugger first and see what kind of messages you get so that you can, so that all of us in the forums can say, ah, well, this may be your problem. Another excellent resource is Rich Wolf's iTunes Access Program, which basically is a standalone application under Mac OS X that can be used to connect to iTunes U. And it's excellent for troubleshooting connection and credential issues because it allows you to connect to iTunes U without having to do all the mucking about with getting the scripts. So if you suspect the problem may be that perhaps your server isn't configured properly to run Java or you don't have a, a Perl module set up correctly, you can use this instead to connect and say, well, I connected via this, so I wonder what the problem is with the server. Uh, Rich is at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and you can download this application from itunes.uic.edu forward slash itunesuaccess.html. 
Next slide. Now, the other common problem, once people actually get their connection up and running to iTunes U and they're able to log into the site and start manipulating things and setting up courses and such is the issue of credentials. And my advice here is really to read the documentation and get a really good grasp of what it is before you come to the forums to ask questions. So most importantly, Chapter 4 of iTunes U Administrator Guide outlines how credentials work, and it's great for starting to get that base level of what happens. Now, basically, as far as credentials go, you can create two kinds. You can create manually create credentials for each course. So you have a course like English 101, and you manually say, instructor can have um, upload access to this course, and students can have read access to this course. However, you can also, instead of having to go through and manually set the credentials for each individual course within iTunes U, you can use something called course identifiers, which basically say, use these roles permissions for all of these courses. And it's just an easy way to maintain credentials within the system. But they're a little bit complex. So what I wholeheartedly recommend you do when you're trying to figure this out is pay close attention to the Using Identifier section of Chapter 4 within the iTunes U Administrator Guide and read the EDU course specification at middleware.internet2.edu. The EDU course specification is basically what Apple used when they were building their credential strings for iTunes U. So it's a great way, reading through that document, it helps to get your mind around exactly what Apple's trying to do with this system. And next slide, and I believe that's about it for me. All right, thanks, Ken. <clears throat> um, I, I would like to remind the audience that uh, we will have a Q&A session um, in the middle of this webcast after we uh, move into the next segment and also at the end. Um, so we are getting a number of questions, and go ahead and continue to uh, put those in. Uh, so for our next segment, uh, we'll take a, a look at a case study of integrating iTunes U with the course management system. And joining us for that conversation today is Paul Edminster from Gonzaga University. Paul, good morning. Are you with us? Hi, Scott. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I'll go ahead and turn this over to you and just tell me when to advance the next slide, and I'll go ahead and do that for you. Okay. Uh, my name is Paul Edminster. I'm the web services manager for Gonzaga. Uh, I just celebrated my fifth anniversary uh, last month, but I have about 12 years' experience in, in web development. Uh, my office manages the website, uh, the main website's content management system, a dozen or so custom web applications, and then also Blackboard. Blackboard was uh, bestowed upon me almost four years ago, uh, unceremoniously. Uh, about two years ago, we hired a uh, web developer, Rob Tomlinson, and the two of us share the duties managing all of these applications. And actually, Rob is the one that wrote the building block I'll be talking about today. Let's go to the slide uh, about uh, Gonzaga. Uh, we're located in Spokane, Washington. We're a fairly small, private uh, Jesuit university. Uh, we have around 7,200 undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, we do have uh, several uh, schools, School of Education, School of Business, and a graduate law school. Uh, and I apologize, Scott, but it's actually pronounced Gonzaga, not Gonzaga. The com, I get asked that about once a week. So. Next slide. I'd like to talk about just an overview of our Blackboard setup. It's, uh, it's, I think it's fairly typical. Uh, Blackboard here on campus predates me. I think Gonzaga has been using it about seven years. We're currently on version 6.3, and that's the Enterprise Edition. 
we have it installed on two Windows 2003 servers. Uh, one is the app server, the other one is the database server, and that runs MySQL, MyS, Microsoft SQL 2000. Um, we have, uh, in the last couple of years, we've integrated it with our Active Directory system, and Active Directory does provide authentication with a rollover to the internal database. Banner, we also use Banner just like Lafayette. It's uh, our student information system. It, it, it is the source for uh, all the users, courses, and enrollment information. And we get that five times a day via snapshot process. I put the active user totals and the active courses total. These are right out of Blackboard, 5,000 active users, 1,600 active courses. Um, I'm, I've never really been... Uh, sure of the accuracy of these. It would be, you could use them to compare them to your own uh, setup, but if, how accurate that is, I, I don't know. Next slide. Our uh, users' courses and enrollments come from Banner, like I said. Uh, and because of this, and the way Banner is set up to handle courses, there is a new Blackboard course created for each course, each term, even if the instructor has not changed. Uh, so, what, and we keep our courses in Blackboard for up to two years, and it's up to the instructor to take the data and the content they have in their course and roll them forward to the next term. Uh, and what the side effect of that is, and you can see in this slide that the the uh, QuickTime icon is, represents a, a large multimedia file. Uh, after you know, two years of this, we get several copies of unused, very large files. And in Blackboard's case, they store content files on the hard drive in a file system. And ours is approaching 100 gigs right now. And it has always been a challenge for us to uh, maintain file space on that drive. Uh, unlike our database server, where the database files are on our storage area network or SAN, uh, our, our content files are not there yet. Next slide. This helps us solve, having iTunes U, U, University helps us solve this problem because we can put the master uh, multimedia file in an iTunes U course and not store them in a local file system. The instructor logs into their iTunes U, they upload and manage their content in a single location. We don't get the, the remnants of these files across terms. Design, design decisions. We've made several, next slide, uh, we made several initial assumptions and opinions at the, uh, when we started designing the system. The, first and foremost, we decided that Blackboard will be the authority for authentication and authorization to this content. And that's not technically true. Blackboard has actually delegated that uh, functionality by Active Directory and by Banner. Um, that way, if an instructor 
can authenticate into Blackboard. They're in a course. They're authorized to be in a course. They're authorized to manage that course materials. They will get the same authorization in their iTunes U course. Same with a, a student. If a student is authorized and authenticated into a course in Blackboard, they will get the role of student in the iTunes U course. We decided to go with a one-to-many relationship between Blackboard courses and iTunes U course. So only one iTunes U course can be used by a single Blackboard course. But many Blackboard courses can have can use the same iTunes U course. So we're, we're Banner, in the way it provides courses, is very course-centric or uh, CRN-centric, course reference number-centric. Uh, we wanted the iTunes U course to be faculty-centric, so a faculty member has a repository of their content that they can use in multiple courses, uh, even in the case where we could have uh, faculty members share uh, an I, a single iTunes U course, and then their black, individual Blackboard courses could use that same content. We, right now, we manually create the iTunes U courses, and I know that Eric's going to be talking about some of the batch processing and things. We'll probably get into that later. Uh, but for now, we're manually creating iTunes U courses, and then uh, Later on, once we get the workflow down, we'll translate that into a web application just to lighten the load on our side. We wanted to use very simple credentials, so role-based credentials instead of user-based credentials like, like Blackboard. Uh, for every course, iTunes U course, there are only two basic credentials, and that's student and instructor, and then those are followed by the identifier string, which is used to connect the Blackboard course to the iTunes U course. We also wanted to model Blackboard tasks that faculty and students already do. So the two uh, components of Blackboard that we modeled after was one was the uh, uh, course cartridge key, which is, if for people that don't know what that is, uh, textbook publishers will sometimes provide a key to instructors. That instructor then enters into their uh, control panel of their Blackboard course, and that will download uh, additional content, digital content, into their Blackboard course. We wanted to follow that model for connecting the Blackboard course to the iTunes U course. Uh, the other uh, component that we modeled was the external link content item, and I'll show you that. Uh, a little bit later. And next. So next I'm going to go through the, the actual process, actual steps from an from a instructor's point of view, and, and also at the very end uh, what a student sees. Ideally, the instructor will contact us through a web form or via email requesting an iTunes U course. So next slide. This is a screenshot of the control panel in Blackboard in the course tools section. And you'll see that there are several uh, building blocks already in your discussion grader turned in assignment. Uh, our building block adds a new one called iTunes U. When an instructor clicks on that link, uh, next slide, 
they're presented with just a single entry field uh, for entering the course key that they receive from my office after we create the, the course in iTunes. Uh, they also have a link to uh, send us an email to request it from, from here as well. Next slide. Here's an example. That, uh, this is the method that we use for the key. Uh, the identifier string that's passed along at the end of the credential is actually the key that they use to bind their Blackboard course to their iTunes U course. And in, in this, met, uh, the way it's broken out is we have two sections, a public section and a private section. Uh, I use the first four letters of the instructor's last name, uh, PVT for private, and then just a sequential number for, uh, for each uh, professor. Once that's entered into that field, the Blackboard course is bound to the iTunes U course, and actually, once that's done, the instructor cannot change that. In fact, uh, if you look at the next slide, if the instructor clicks on the iTunes U link again, instead of going to the entry field for the key, iTunes application is opened directly into their course, and uh, it opens it in the instructor credential so they can manage their iTunes content by clicking on this link after the binding process has happened. Next slide. Also in the control panel for the Blackboard's, Blackboard courses, course documents, instructors are very familiar with this section. Uh, they, if they click on this and go to the next slide, uh, this is where they can add course content and Part of what the building block does is it adds a new course content item called iTunes U content. It's highlighted there. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's modeled after the external link type, and if an instructor is familiar with external link, it is part of our training process. Uh, it'll look really familiar to them, and that we want them to be comfortable with it. And it, from an instructor's point of view, the functionality is almost identical. On the, behind the scenes, it's very different, but. But to them, uh, they wouldn't notice anything different. Next slide. The instructor is able to uh, create uh, the link text, put a description, make it available or not, uh, or, or display it between dates. Um, the, and then the only thing different, and then here it says iTunes U URL, and the actual external link content item is just a URL. Uh, if you uh, go ahead and click, with, with the iTunes application open, you can actually drag and drop tabs, tracks, courses right into this URL field, and, and it will uh, fill it out for you. Or you can do a co uh, copy and paste. If you click again, it will show the actual URL. Once it's submitted as a content type, it's added to the course documents for that course. Once it's made available to students, uh, if, you, if you go to the next slide, it just shows up like any other content item, very much like an external link item. A student enrolled in this course would see this in their course documents. They would click on this link, 
it would open up the iTunes application and place them either in the main page of the course, which happens if you leave that URL blank, or it goes to the specific tab or track. And they are entered into the iTunes application or iTunes U as uh, with the student credentials. They're able to uh, view, subscribe, and if, if the instructor allows it, uh, to actually drop content for uh, assignments and things. So next slide. So we've created the building block. We spent, you know, it's very specific to our install. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, we're running Windows 2003 again. Our specific Blackboard version is 631.645 and then SQL 2000. It does we do use uh, database tables that are separate from the Blackboard database to track the keys, who requested it, and the credentials. Uh, in the install, there is a README text that goes through the complete install procedure. And I don't think it would take a whole lot of work to convert it to other kinds of uh, installs. The Linux installs are, are using a, a MySQL or Oracle database. Uh, and there's the URL for actually downloading it. Next slide. What's left? Well, we, since we currently manage it, uh, we do have plans to do a web-based management system. It will probably be Ruby on Rails. Most of our new uh, applications uh, use that. Uh, we are not at the point where our iTunes U is public. Uh, we, we have some test content up there. Uh, I, I am working with the Central Computing Group to roll out an iTunes, uh, the iTunes application across the enterprise using our uh, our application distribution system. I have to get installed on all the labs, uh, and then I need to. Uh, take what we've done now, and all of this is done on our test and development server, and move it to production, and then, then begin to promote it, and then also integrate it with our current Blackboard training. So I don't think we'll be, it'll be like a side note in the Blackboard training. Next slide. Uh, I, I, there are some things to keep in mind if you're, if you're going to do this. Uh, we. We also, outside of Blackboard, since we have a public site, we do have an authentication application that we're able to go to this web page, log in, and if our credentials are right as administrator or instructor or public relations, it, put, it opens up iTunes, puts us in with the right credentials, the right role. Um, we, we're just going to throw that together very quickly, so we, we went to write it in classic ASP, and it it immediately became clear that that wasn't going to be worth the effort at all, and I don't recommend it to anyone. Uh, we had had a, a lot of difficulty getting the hashing to work for uh, passing the credentials. Uh, so what we did was we quickly changed it to ASP.NET. worked really well. Uh, we did notice that for each language that you want to do this with, the URL encoding methods, are slightly different, so you have to be careful about how the URL string is encoded in whatever language you're using, uh, because some of them encode the underscores, some do not. And I also highly recommend Ritual's iTunes Access application because it 
shows you exactly what needs to be encoded and which, what doesn't need to be encoded. Uh, and any kind of uh, encoding errors will prevent authentication. Uh, so, I, I, When I put these slides together, I was thinking that, that uh, it's very, it, you know, it's a technical process, it's a building block, it, it integrates with, you know, Blackboard is not an easy application to work with. Uh, you're using Java and you're using all this. And I started thinking about what difficulties I've had in the last couple of months. And, and the, the thing about it is that I haven't had much difficulty on the technical side at all. It's actually, the documentation is great. Uh, it seems to work as advertised. You get great help online. Uh, probably the biggest problem I've had has nothing to do with the authentication or the integration. It has to do with getting quality content from across campus. And I, I, I think that these technical uh, things are, are great, but I only think it's about a tenth of, a tenth of the equation. Uh, people aren't awed by the mere novelty of watching video online anymore, and they expect it to work. They expect quality. And with tools like this, with iTunes application, with iTunes U, uh, the technology's really gotten out of the way, and it shines a big bright light on the content, and it, it, it enables you to create content, but it, but it also requires you to create great content, and it needs to be uh, engaging and informative, and uh, if it's not, uh, all this work and integration is not going to do very, not going to do you very much good. And at best, it's a waste of time. At worst, it'll turn people away from your institution. And probably my next big hurdle on this is not so much technical, but actually, uh, as much as I hate to be the gate, to want to be the gatekeeper is not really my role, but to actually convince people to create uh, really good content so that it leverages these tools. And I think that's all I have to say. That was my rant. That's all I had to say. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Uh, so now we're going to do a Q&A session uh, based on Ken and Paul's uh, portion. But uh, I also want to let the audience know that um, we're joined by Eric Bailey, uh, Senior Engineering Manager in the um, studio today. He'll uh, follow up with his segment, but he's also available for uh, maybe some questions uh, in, in this segment. If you want to chime in, Eric, please feel free. Sure. Um, Paul, your, your, uh, your rant is a perfect segue to our first question. Uh, which is actually for both you and Ken. And essentially, the, the question uh, is about how large of a staff uh, do you use for all aspects of iTunes U, from the technical implementation to the training, uh, faculty support, and to Paul's point, sort of the marketing efforts and, and driving adoption across campus and driving best practices. So, Ken, do you want to answer that first, and then we'll have Paul give his answer. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I can tell you that the people who were involved with it, we had myself who was handling all the web programming, so there was a web programmer. There's a, one primary instructional technologist who's helping to teach people and helping me with writing documentation and education, and then we had some help from on the server side with just configuration and such. So. There's three people who are involved with it. You have the server administrator, web programmer, and instructional technologist. Um, in terms of promotion, we're still in the process of doing that. So myself and the instructional technologist are basically working to create posters, do uh, brown bag lunches, 
going to classes and talking about stuff. So it's more of a grassroots effort right now. Great. And Paul? Uh, right now, uh, it's the two of us for the technical side. Uh, I've got, uh, I created the infrastructure inside iTunes U. Uh, Rob wrote the building block. Um, I've worked with two other people in our instructional technology division that uh, will integrate the training for it into their system. So two over there. We, ha we just started a marketing and communications division here on campus, a department on campus. That's, uh, uh, there are two people I work with there and gathering content. Um, right now we're in the very early stages, and about as far as we've gotten so far is actually taking a lot of the movies, a lot of the video we have that we send out on DVDs for undergrad admissions and law school admissions, and we've converted those into iTunes U. The next step would be to talk to the production people on campus, and that, that's about three people that, that actually create video content and manage the video editing suites. Um, about 250 active faculty that use Blackboard, probably a, a dozen that, that heavily use multimedia files. Um, I, what I'm doing initially, this is I'm still kind of in stealth mode on the on campus. Well, not after this webcast, but uh, if I, I I'm working with a few faculty that are a little more advanced when it comes to computing, using technology in their courses. I have three or four of them, and every step of the way, I've been showing them what we're doing, uh, explaining why I'm assuming certain things, and and getting their approval on on that. It, you know, that it's acceptable to them. And then the next step would be to have them take it to their faculty, their individual faculty groups, present it in coordination with a, a campus-wide promotion, which uh, Apple does provide a, a big marketing uh, package to help you do that. Great. Another sort of related question is, are, are there docs or, are, or do you provide guideline documentation for content providers covering issues such as copyright, disc quota, and other uh, potential issues around digital media? Um, Eric, do you want to? Yeah, I can start, start that. the answer with that, and uh, Paul and Ken can chime in with any of their experiences. So one of the things they've referred to several times is the online discussion forums and the documentation. That's all available on apple.com slash support forward slash iTunes underscore you. And in there, on that page, we have all of our documentation, which is divided into a couple different pieces. There's the admin guide for most of the discussion we're having here today covering how to build uh, integration with authorization at your campus and, and other topics related to that. But then there's also a, a content guide for you know an instructor who's looking to utilize iTunes U in, in their course, uh, the type of content that works well within iTunes and how to utilize that best. We also have worked uh, to produce a uh, guide for copyright so that those who are worried about intellectual property and fair use can have some guidelines that uh, we can suggest. Um, but ultimately, many institutions have their own you know fair use guidelines and how they want people to to uh, utilize those those uh, that media in question. Ken or Paul, do you have anything to add to that from your institutional perspectives? Um, 
Well, as far as uh, we've kind of worked, the pilot's kind of a, an organic process. So we've been working with faculty and figuring out how they would like to use it and then creating documentation as we go. We also have a, a running frequently asked questions list on our website. And one of the things when we're talking about fair use and stuff, one of the misconceptions we ran into with some faculty and with some students was that thinking that iTunes, the music store, would, because it's connected with iTunes U, because Apple's doing both, that that would give them some additional rights to content that they wouldn't have through, say, Blackboard or doing anything else online. And we have to explain to them that, no, iTunes U stands on its own. It's like you can't do anything with iTunes U that you could do with other applications. Um, so it's really, when we're talking about copyright and fair use and those kind of things, it's basically the same rules apply within iTunes U as would for anything else. So that's the, the message we're taking as far as that goes. And we're slowly building up the, the technical specifications as to how you should save content, that kind of thing. To start, we're using the Apple documentations, but we're fleshing it out and customizing it for our location. Okay. In, in, in our case, uh, working with that core faculty, uh, we're developing a set of policies for, because it's really on, uh, on the on the shoulders of the faculty to, to explain to their students, and it's getting more and more like this just with regular uh, text content in Blackboard, of notifying their student what the copyright is, uh, that they're allowed access to it through Blackboard in an authenticated way, and also uh, what their responsibilities are as far as deleting that content when they're finished with the, the course uh, and those kinds of issues. And then the public content goes through our, our uh, marketing communications. They've already got the paperwork for getting releases and things like that for people, for the videos that they post on the public side. Great. Uh, here's a question specific to the, uh, the Blackboard building block. Um, can students go back to, um, or do they have to go back to Blackboard to get credentials for other courses? Or once they're in and uh, authenticated, can they just simply navigate to different courses and also over to iTunes U through one authentication? And actually, in the way it works, uh, since we've made Blackboard the authority, and it's it's very from the course that that's the context that you get to your iTunes U content. So it's 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 by course. So if you want to get, you you can't get into iTunes U have a set of credentials, because your credentials are tied to that course, you can't navigate to a, a separate course. Um, that, that might change because they're, they're uh, and Eric will talk about this later, is the, with the uh, different kinds of credentials and the, the batching and the web services that allow you to do some of these more advanced things. We might change that, but, but the way it stands right now, you are in your Blackboard course to get to the content in iTunes U. If you have content in another Blackboard course, you'll have to go to that course to get to it. And then uh, uh, also, if you're in iTunes University U, the application, and you time out, you can't authenticate through any other means but by getting back into Blackboard and going back into iTunes. So we drive them back to iTunes in every case. Or back to Blackboard, sorry. Okay. Uh, Paul, could you uh, tell us again the URL for your building block? How do they access that? We've got some viewers wanting to, I guess, grab it now. Let's see. It's at itunesu.gonzaga.edu 
slash Gonzaga underscore iTunes U dot zip. Okay. And also, uh, I'll remind our audience that uh, this webcast will be made available as an archive uh, probably about two or three weeks from now. All the Mac Learning archives are hosted and distributed through Duke University's iTunes U uh, implementation. The easiest way to get uh, um, news of new archives is just to join us at Mac Learning. You'll get an email and know when uh, the new stuff is up and available. So. Um, we had lots of questions about wanting access to the presentation. The good news is you'll have access in about two or three weeks. Uh, we have lots of great questions, um, but I want to keep us on schedule and uh, move us into the next portion. Uh, we will have another Q&A session at the uh, completion of uh, Eric Bailey's presentation. Again, Eric Bailey is Senior Engineering Manager of iTunes U here at Apple. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Eric, and uh, he's going to Move us into what's new with iTunes U. Okay, thanks, Scott. Um, I'm going to go back and touch on a few things that uh, that Ken and Paul alluded to, and talk a little bit about designing the structure and access of uh, to your iTunes U site, and, um, and then I'm going to go on and talk about our new web services that we released just a few weeks ago, and, and go through those. So, a lot of schools that are just getting started with iTunes U are looking at the interface and wondering how they should. Uh, create sections and course pages and what is that mapping between those uh, organizational units on their campus and the space within iTunes U. As, as Paul alluded to, they, they create one space and they can reuse it and that's possible to do with iTunes U. There is a lot of flexibility to the system and a lot of it has to do with how you want to map entities on your campus to these different pages and spaces within iTunes U. So this is a screenshot I'll use as an example of three different sections that um, this example iTunes U site will have. One is a courses section where you can see there's six courses set up. Uh, then there's an events section and a campus community section. And from a site administrator's perspective, they will be able to see all the courses. They will have a credential which gives them access to, their, to the entire set that's inside my courses. But the idea here is that each credential uh, for a student or instructor is only going to give them access to that one course. So when they log into the to the iTunes U site, they will only see those courses which they are supposed to have access to, and the other five would would not be available to them. And then uh, the idea for events and campus community is uh, we start with these two. Um, sections and we have a speakers on campus and commencement area for events and then we have a campus community section and each of those would grow and build out but ultimately we want um, the public uh, to be able to view these sections so this is an example of how you could start the welcome page which is the top level page of your iTunes U site and I'm going to go into some examples now of how you would uh, you would assign credentials to those and use the features of iTunes U to uh, set that up so the first thing to realize is that there's an underlying structure, there's a hierarchy to all of the pages and content within iTunes U. Your site um, has a welcome page at the very top level and each of those sections creates groups that you can then uh, put course pages inside and subdivide the content. And at each level in this structure you can assign access permission and ultimately determine the credentials that are going to give people access to these, to these pages. So a credential is just a unique string that may contain a, uh, an identifier for um, that, that maps to some entity at your campus, and that credential is what you passed iTunes U to tell us what um, that person should have access to. And then uh, a permission is a combination of that credential and an access level within iTunes U. 
So let's consider four different roles of users that we want to have within this iTunes U site. Uh, we've got a site administrator, we have an instructor, a student, and a visitor. A visitor being a, a public user, so this person does not need any credentials to uh, access iTunes U or go through any authorization process. The levels of access I mentioned are no access. We want to block that user from that area. Um, download access so they can download any content within that area. Uh, we also have the ability to do Dropbox and shared access so that a, uh, a tab within a course page could be used in this way so that students uh, could upload content into the, to those spaces. And then edit access. So you, edit access is giving someone the ability to edit the elements of that page, define new elements on the page, add links, change titles, those, sort, those sorts of things. And you want to give edit access to an instructor for a course page in most cases. So when we combine uh, the roles that we want to have in this site with those access options, we want to have the site administrator have edit access to the entire site, and that's kind of built in by default with iTunes U. And then the instructor is going to have edit access at the course page level, and students will have download access at the course page level. I won't go into Dropbox and Shared for this example. Now, the visitor, which on this slide is changed to all, they'll have download access to the campus community and the events sections. And uh, there's a built-in credential to iTunes U called the All Credential that helps you define what you want public visitors to be able to see. So back to the structure. Um, we're going to put a unique credential around each of the uh, three courses that are in my example hierarchy here. So a unique credential for each of those courses uh, per student and instructor. And then one credential which covers the browse and download access for events and campus community. So as an example, uh, for one of these courses, we would create a credential for students and a credential for instructor that would be enrolled in that course. And this is that string that uh, would serve as that credential. So any user that your authorization server uh, sends a credential with one of these, they will receive that access to that page and that course would appear on that top level welcome page. Um, and then for the public access, you'd assign a credential uh, for each of those sections, events and campus community, and you would get, give them uh, download access to that section. So for example, you have an instructor who's, who's, who's teaching two courses that utilize iTunes U. The instructor has those two credentials. They get past iTunes U. They get access to all of the content in blue, uh, welcome page, events, and campus community because they're a visitor uh, by default. Everyone gets to see that, but the two courses highlighted in green that they teach, they would be given edit access to. A student coming in with just the one credential would have access to just the one course, and they would have download access only, uh, just the same type of access that they would have for events in campus community. And the user interface would dynamically build itself to show just the, those, those course pages that they have access to. And so, uh, one of the questions that was asked earlier was asked, do you have to navigate around to you know, jump back and forth between a web browser and iTunes to uh, see the different courses that you, and content that you have access to? Uh, by design, we're trying to make it easy on the user so that they do not have to do that. Now, depending upon how your systems authorize users and can look up that information, that becomes a fallout of that, 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 decision, that design decision to see if um, users have to do that. But by default, we'd like to uh, make it available so that all the courses appear under one section. And this gets into one of those design decisions around, should you try to build hierarchy around the different schools and departments within your school? I think 
for, for a public site, if you're trying to show and showcase the content from different schools, that might be necessary. But in terms of giving access to those users for course material, it's, it's, it's better to keep it flat and uh, customize the user, the user interface for the user and give them access just to those things that they have access to. So now I'm going to talk about iTunes U Web Services. We just released some new information that uh, is on the website I mentioned earlier in the documentation, the admin guide. Chapter 6 covers iTunes U Web Services. Um, this is really uh, an outcome of a lot of feedback we've had, and we've always wanted to extend the capabilities, capabilities of iTunes U uh, and able to integrate with more systems like Blackboard and other online uh, custom applications that universities are developing. So we look to web services to help you extend uh, the reach of uh, and, and create richer system integration opportunities with with your online systems. So our approach uh, really is to enable that and then you know utilize an XML document to uh, to represent the site's hierarchy and allow you to interact with that um, through these web services in order to do things on a larger scale. The the, you know, the user interface for the admin. Um, user within iTunes U is useful, but it can become quite tedious to do things once you start to have a, a good number of courses and pages within the site. So what we've done to get started with web services is we've created those um, operations and directives that are the most requested by, by schools that uh, have been utilizing iTunes U and are looking to use it in a bigger way. So we're trying to address uh, batch course creation and modification. Uh, we have a, a directive which will allow you to view the entire structure of your site, get an XML representation of that, of that site so you can get a better sense for that, that uh, hierarchy that I just had a slide of as an example. Um, and then, you know, as semesters and quarters roll over, end of terms roll over, you want to do mass changes to these. You either want to reuse a course space or you want to end of life it and create a new space. And, and some of these transition periods um, call for something more like a web services approach to, to, uh, to achieve those um, tasks. So um, our approach is to start with those. And as we uh, get more feedback and learn more from uh, this, we'll, we'll be continuing to add more web services so that we can um, build on this. And the other approach, last thing I'll mention about the approach is we want to extend the existing authorization rules that we use for access. Uh, it's credential-based, so it's really a two-step process in web services in terms of you have a script or a program that wants to tell the iTunes U server to perform some task, you first need to pass a credential to get access to do that task and then follow it up with an XML document with those operations listed within it. And I'll go into that in a second. So with, the, with these new web services, these are some of the tasks that we hope will be possible for you to integrate. Um, we already have had uh, for, for, uh, for a number of months the ability to upload tracks. I think now with web services you should be able to uh, automate uh, this process of getting content into iTunes U if it's coming from an, another system. If it's not being uploaded individually by an instructor or student and you have another system that's doing lecture capture or producing a video of events, uh, you, you may want to uh, take a look at the web services so that you can uh, automate and batch upload that content. Um, second and the, really the most requested thing is to be able to do course provisioning either on demand or in batch so that um, it's not as tedious as using the admin interface and it allows you to scale this up to, to hundreds and thousands of courses potentially. Um, and then back to the end of term uh, topic, being able to change credentials and remove, uh, remove them at the end of the, the term. 
Another possibility that uh, I've discussed with a few folks is the idea of creating an index of all the site data and sort of getting an inventory. Um, with uh, the directive show tree, the operation show tree on the web services, you can get the entire structure and you get basically an inventory of everything in the site. So these are the individual XML operations that you can send to the iTunes U server. Um, show tree gives you, uh, has some different options but allows you to get that structure. And then there's different uh, operations for dealing with courses. Uh, a course is, a, is, is a synonymous with a course page or what many people are familiar with as an album page within the iTunes store. Um, and inside there you have tabs and that's the user interface element. We call those tabs. Uh, internally we call those groups. A group is, you can have several groups on a course and so um, add group, delete group, and merge group operate on, on, on tabs if you're familiar with that. And then permissions are a combination of the access level and the credential. And add permission, delete permission, and merge permission allow you to interact with those. And then we've added delete track and merge track, which along with the previous uh, get upload URL function that we uh, documented uh, several months ago, you now basically have add track, delete track, and merge track so that you can uh, add content and manipulate the metadata of iTunes U tracks. So I'm going to go through a sample implementation of how you would interact with an iTunes U web service operation. So the first step is to generate the XML document. And the actual format for that document and what sort of XML you need to utilize is in our admin guide in Chapter 6. So you, you first come to this with, what is the operation I want to do? I want to add a course. Okay, so step two now is to generate the authorization token. And this is the same token that you use to, uh, to create an uh, authorization token to transfer a user into iTunes U. You take that uh, URL encoded string and, that, and then you attach that to a URL to request upload authorization in step three. So basically, you have a program that wants to, to uh, perform an operation within iTunes U, generate the token, add that to the URL, and you send that off to the iTunes U server. If successful, the iTunes U server returns a URL back, which you can then use to upload the XML document. And then step four, when you upload that XML document, the operation gets performed, or you receive some sort of error message explaining why it, it's not able to perform. So that's really uh, all it takes to get a, uh, an XML web service going with iTunes U. Um, here's some sample XML uh, for add course. Uh, you see the container is an iTunes U document tag. Inside there I have an add course tag. And inside there I have a description of a course. And you can go into much more greater detail if you want to add uh, uh, more information to a course. The identifier which you know, Paul and Ken talked about, which is the the unique identifier that maybe your school uses in, inside some other system like uh, Banner or LDAP or a database is the identifier that then you can use to uh, reference that course later on. And so you can use, put that identifier here uh, at batch course creation time in the XML. So that's the sample implementation. Uh, I encourage you to look at the documentation and as you have questions, use our online forums to bring those up. I know a lot of people are very interested in building up their iTunes U infrastructure and being able to do these tasks. So we look forward to getting your feedback and hearing about what problems you're running into so that we can uh, to make them better in the future. So 
that's my introduction to web services, and I uh, hope they all work well for you. Thank you, Eric. Uh, we have some questions um, through here. Uh, a request for um, getting a DTS for the web services API. A, uh, a DTS. Uh, a DTD. DT, yeah. DTD, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, be able to get a... Um, Yes, that, that is something that's in the works um, so that you could uh, basically have a uh, verified document before you send it off to XML just to make sure that the syntax is correct. That's, that's a good suggestion. Okay. Um, the web services and the use of XML, a question is, I think, targeted towards um, did you look at using any of the sort of existing standards or specs out there? And they're referencing the uh, IMS um, standard that's used for uh, student information system integration. I think it's called the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, what sort of background uh, in designing this did you guys go through process of looking at available specs and standards? Well, we we um, we purposely didn't go go through that process in great detail, mainly because there's a translation layer there and. Uh, we're going to need some more feedback in order to make that really rich. Uh, the XML web services are, are, are centric to how iTunes U organizes the, the data for display on the page. And so we realize there's, a, there's some other specs that we'd like to look at. I think we could look at some other XML transformation technology to, to solve those problems in the future. Great. We have um, some sort of general questions about iTunes U. Um, First being, will we uh, will the ability to assign a single track to multiple areas uh, make it into iTunes U? Um, yeah, we've had that request. Um, I think the the main challenge for us is building the user interface that makes that easy to manage. Uh, once you start to have a track in one page and then and then try to reference it in other places, uh, we want to make that real easy for instructors and students who who might want to be able to do that task. Um, uh, understand that it's a link and not a real copy, and so we're, we're thinking about how to do that. There's a uh, general question about um, supporting end users at institutions that don't run uh, Windows or Mac OS X, meaning they don't have an iTunes client. Uh, uh, Ken and Paul, this might be something you uh, could chime in on. Have you had any requests to support any non-Mac or non-Windows platforms, and if so, what's your thinking on that? Uh, <clears throat> so far, we have not. Um, the, the question was raised as to what, f there, there was some concern, the, I think the kind of is a tangential to that, was some folks were concerned that putting it into iTunes U would add Apple-specific DRM to the files and that you would have to work and play with Apple's technologies in order to do this. And once the, so we had to explain, no, you use MP3s or, or standard file formats. You don't have to play with Apple stuff, and no DRM gets added. So that, I think by explaining that, that cleared up a lot of things. Um, there is the public RSS feed that we showed people that so you can subscribe to a course at least the public content through an RSS feed in something, you know, in, I can't remember the, uh, the feed aggregator off the top of my head on Linux, but so that's one way to get to the content. Um, but it was really more questions about concerned about the, the formatting of the content and whether or not DRM would be added. Okay. Anybody else want to comment to that? Actually, we, we haven't had anybody uh, ask for that yet, although we haven't ruled it out either. Um, 
we try, we're trying to address the needs of as many people as possible, and there are always exceptions, and those exceptions require a great deal of effort to cover. The uh, most of, and if in this case we're talking about Linux, most of the uh, engineering faculty that do use Linux use it in addition to, they have access to a Windows box or a Mac uh, uh, workstation. Uh, all the labs will have it. The library terminals will all have the ability to uh, view this information. And then uh, when it comes to the public content, uh, a lot of that content uh, can be duplicated on our main web server uh, in a you know less less than ideal fashion. The iTunes really what it does is it eliminates so many problems with the variations of of file formats and things that we gain a lot more than 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 lose when when we actually go to this one application. Great, thank you. A uh, very specific question is ad track in the latest admin docs. Yeah, I see that question. So I think my slide may have confused a few people. Add track. It said add track equals get upload URL. Get upload URL is documented at the end of chapter five, and I was trying to get across there is that it, that is uh, equal to uh, add track if we were to implement add track. So if you want to do an add track operation, you use get upload URL. Okay. Um, what if uh, users are uploading incorrect file formats or they're about to exceed some sort of disk quota? What you guys running into that uh, problem on, on your campus? What and what, Eric, for you, what happens within the, uh, well, I'll the go solution? I'll go first. The iTunes U at upload time does a little bit of sanity checking on the file. If it's not a file that iTunes U can parse, and there's, in other words, it can't look at the MP3. If it's supposed to be an MP3 file, it has that extension, and it can't get any metadata out of that file, like a title or a duration, then it's not going to add it to the, the, uh, the site. Um, the, the file does have to be formatted properly, so an MP3 file that doesn't meet you know, its basic requirements uh, uh, is not going to play back in iTunes, and therefore it wouldn't work very well if you put it into iTunes. So we would... Uh, we would uh, throw an error and probably, you know, we, we would display that to the user on the upload page. So w there is some sanity checking uh, done there at, at upload time. Great. Uh, interesting question, I think I know the answer to it. You know, we, we talk a lot about faculty and end users needing to train them. What about students as end users? Uh, what are the sort of training costs or needs, or are there any, given today's students, most of them I suspect walking around with iPods or a lot of them. Well, from my perspective, uh, I've heard you know very very uh, simple comments is there's no training needed. Students know how to use iTunes, so I don't know if that that's true everywhere. But you know our goal in uh, creating the interface for iTunes is to make it very familiar. If you're familiar with the iTunes Store and, and and the way that iTunes works to to download content, and hopefully there's there's no training involved at all. But I, you know, Paul and Ken, if you guys have any feedback on that, uh, please share. Um, with the one class that we have that's directly logging into iTunes and downloading content, they've been working just fine. They didn't have any complaints. They just said, oh, yeah, well, it works. Um, 
Now, that having been said, I think things get a little bit confusing when you start talking about subscribing to a, a track where you're using the podcasting function where you're subscribing to the feed and as stuff gets uploaded, it gets downloaded into iTunes. There's a little bit of confusion as to where to go look for it then. Because if you download it normally, it'll show up under a Lafayette College playlist. If you subscribe to it as a podcast, it's going to show up under podcasts within iTunes U. And I think there's just some general confusion about podcasts. Um, but for the most part, students have been seeming to have a good trouble. We haven't been having a lot of trouble with it, but we only have a small user set. So I'd be interested to see how it works as we ramp up. That's the same with us. And I want to, uh, we are beginning to challenge some of our assumptions about what students know and what they, you know, what we assume that they know. Um, uh, in fact, we don't do any formal Blackboard training for our students, but we're beginning to look at, at doing that, which would include uh, iTunes uh, U as well. Okay. And uh, so again, I, I want to reiterate, uh, unless we get some more questions here, that. Um, Let's see, here's one. Is there a list of compatible QuickTime formatting uh, supported tracks, et cetera? For instance, I believe copy protected files work fine. QuickTime VR files do not. Where can they find that sort of information of supported file formats? Well, the, iTunes, the iTunes U content uh, creation guide covers some of this. Uh, there's, you know, QuickTime supports a very wide variety of, uh, of media types and streaming types, and a lot of those are not going to play back inside iTunes. Uh, basically, uh, we're recommending people go with MP3 or AAC for audio and MPEG-4 for video and to use the H.264 compression technique if they want to uh, make those videos play back on an iPod, which is the goal of many people. So uh, try to stick to that small set, and I think you'll also make it simpler for your end users to understand what they need to do to, to get content uh, playback in a, in a wide variety of places. Okay, there's... Um so in regards to the sanity check, if a content provider tries to upload Windows Media or Real Player that has metadata, does sanity check stop its upload? Uh, yeah, those file types are going to have a different extension. They're, the uh, the type checking on the file is not going to pass. So we're not going to be able to, iTunes is not going to be able to play back a Windows Media file or a Real File, so it's not going to accept it. Any uh, good suggestions uh, for a tutorial for those who are not traditional students or do not have strong computer background? So, you know, maybe professional development for faculty on campus. Um, where, yeah. in terms of help, helping helping the, the less technically savvy use use yeah. as end user for podcasting and so on. Well, you know, some of the best content I've seen is is actually in iTunes itself in the podcast directory. There, there's a, there's a whole. Um, kind of subsection of the podcast directory that talks about authoring podcasts and how to create podcasts if you're interested. If, obviously, if you can figure out how to subscribe to a podcast, then you can get this content which talks about authoring podcasts. Um, and uh, you know that goes through a lot of the issues, just simple things, uh, editorial decisions, and, and then using different software applications to create podcasts. So there's, there's a lot of um, sort of Questions and conversation uh, centered around DRM, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of comments um, and questions. Uh, can you make a generic statement about what is supported today or not supported in terms of digital rights management, iTunes U, and I think most importantly, how can customers provide their feedback and needs right. uh, to to iTunes U? Okay. Um, 
So right now, iTunes U does not do anything to the files that are uploaded, so there's no DRM protection being added to the files, and we don't, we don't plan to support that anytime soon. We uh, have heard very, a wide variety of, uh, of opinions on whether we should or should not uh, support that, and for now, we understand what limitations this brings. It means that um, you, know, you can't take a piece of copyrighted material, chop it down to a segment that you want to use in your classroom, and then distribute that in iTunes U and know that it's copy protected in some way. And we, we understand that and know that that means iTunes U can't be utilized for, the, for that type of uh, application of uh, teaching and learning. And, and we're comfortable with that because we feel there's so many other ways that it, that it does provide uh, support. And those. Um, you know, opinions about us not providing it means that then the files can still be open uh, for those users and those users really appreciate that. So for now it does limit its use um, and we're comfortable with that. Um, there's, uh, uh, I don't know if Paul or Ken have any thoughts about uh, these discussions that have happened of, of, of you know, what's okay to put in, what's not okay, if, if any of that went into your training, um, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that. You want to go first, Paul? <laughs> uh, we, we've actually just been, been in uh, preliminary discussions with faculty and what they know and what they, uh, you know, their understanding. A lot of their, uh, uh, the information they have about copyright, what, what's acceptable and what's not, comes from uh, the copy center when they create documents for it. So it's something that the, the entire school is actually going through is re uh, revising policies on copyright and that sort of thing. If you want me to get in another rant, that, that would be one to get into. <laughs> I think um, my department's actually part of a merged ITS slash libraries department. So we've been having, there's the general guidelines that we have about fair use, but, and, you know, it's kind of feeling our way through that. But then also we've been talking with some of the librarians to say, okay, do we want to implement some sort of an e-reserve system? Um, we don't have one in place right now. Should we? What guidelines should be attached to that? You know, what hard and fast rules should there be? So we're we're having those conversations now. And the other comment I'll make about streaming: people ask us about streaming. Um, you know, the big, I guess, the big disadvantage for us and, and is that if it's if it's a streaming only format, then we can't uh, we can't get the content onto an iPod. And the the great thing about observing how people are using iTunes and iPod in education is to see the portability and what's happening. You know. 24/7 with the accessibility of that content on an iPod, so we didn't. We really don't want to limit it to streaming because then that doesn't allow it to be played back on an iPod. Uh, another sort of large um, uh, issue, of course, is accessibility uh, with, with any content that's provided. Um, Paul or Ken, what what sort of conversations are you having about accessibility, both? I guess specifically within iTunes U uh, distributing content, but you know this is this is a, a large general issue for campuses, and uh, and then the other piece would be accessibility, I guess, uh, from the iTunes client side, mm -hmm. and what we do here at Mac OS X. But let's start with uh, Ken, then Paul, and we'll turn to Eric. Ken. Well, 
Um, we haven't gotten to the point where we're recommending full transcriptions of all the files that get put up there, um, but we haven't been putting a huge amount of content in it. So at this point, for example, with our own podcast that we do for the ITS site, uh, for our ITS department, we have extensive show notes that go into everything that we discussed, all the links that are available. So that's one way that the, co the content that is available, and that's available outside of iTunes U. So we link to it from within iTunes, and we also make it available on an external website so that people can get to it. But these are the kind of conversations we're having right now to figure out how to support that. And we're doing exactly the same thing. When the, our final content comes out, there'll be things like closed captioning on the videos, the transcripts of the video uh, and audio. Uh, we have a whole department on campus that uh, we work with in order to uh, try and adhere to some of those uh, standards. And then for us, we know there's a lot of work to do. We've um, we sat down and had some real lengthy discussions with a few schools about what would be needed to support it on a large scale at their campus, and obviously accessibility is a big deal, and we want to support that. There are several areas we need to address, uh, not only in the iTunes U uh, service itself, but in iTunes and iPod, and we've been giving that feedback to these other product groups here in Apple to, to make those things happen. Uh, for instance, in iTunes 7.1, we got uh, voiceover support with a certain section of the iTunes client itself, so now the voiceover accessibility portion of OS X works with um, at least a good part of iTunes. However, now we need to bring that to the, the pages that are viewed within iTunes when you're accessing the store and iTunes U pages as well, so that, that's the next step for us. Um, you know, there's a uh, there's also work, obviously, since iTunes is a Windows application to improve the experience there. We know what we, know what we need to do in this space, and uh, we'll be working towards that. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge that uh, Ken mentioned about uh, transcription is, is, is a big deal because there, there's just no way to automate that process. And so, um, you know, we're, we're uh, hearing interesting stories about that where um, some schools that have a need to do that have been able to use like a court recorder program to be able to get a transcription created at a lower cost. So uh, we're, we're, we're interested in hearing more about those solutions so we can bring something um, forward. Great. And uh, our last question is uh, getting back to the web services API, um, a request to get return or return error messages via XML. Possibility? It is a possibility. We know we need to improve those error messages and give a little bit further granularity on what the problems are with uh, when you upload an XML web service and, and need to get the feedback as to what part of your XML is uh, is uh, causing the error. So look for improvements very soon in that area. Great. Uh, any last uh, comments from uh, Ken or Paul? Uh, there's one thing is, is we're starting to see uh, when I talk to people about iTunes, uh, certain things come up that that uh, really generate excitement. And things like uh, we do a lot of tours on campus, a lot of uh, on-campus visits, and uh, the idea of uh, using an iPod in a self-guided campus tour or an iPod for a uh, self-guided uh, tour of uh, the uh, exhibit at the galleries. Th things like that start to generate out of some of these meetings, and, and it actually uh, pretty exciting. The ideas that that both uh, you know, like admissions and, and people that you might not think of as being uh, 
a primary user of, of, of an iPod or something like that, and ended up, they started adopting those things and, and really taking it further than I thought it would, would go. Great. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Ken and Paul, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. And uh, based on the audience feedback we've been getting here in the studio, I know they appreciate your time as well. Also, thanks to uh, Eric Bailey uh, for joining us. And uh, I would, again, uh, recommend that you join MacLearning.org so that you can get uh, the, the archive as soon as it's possible. I'm also getting lots of requests for uh, a PDF version of the slides sooner rather than later. So. Again, uh, the best way to get information about the availability of all that would be uh, to join up at maclearning.org. And uh, thanks again for joining us, and we'll uh, hopefully see you next month. Thank you.